warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program. a very British podcast about very British movies with just a hint of professionalism. Good morning, Scott here as usual. With me in the studio, first time since Christmas, Tony. Hello. 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 Christmas seems ages away. It was a lifetime away. Last year. It was last year. It was <laughs> It's the first time we've actually sat together since that recording. First time we've really spoken. Yes. Good to see you. And you. Um Usual dramas over Christmas and New Year, as usual, for you. Yep. Um, <laughs> bit of a celebration, because we were hoping that all three of us, Tony and Stephen and myself, were going to be together for the Scrooge episode, but as is the case in all these things, real life got in the way, kicked us in the bollocks a wee bit, and it just couldn't happen. It just couldn't happen on the day. Thankfully... About 150, 200 miles, sort of north northeast from where we're sitting. No, north northwest, I think he may be, from where we're sitting. With his big coat on. With his big coat on in the snow. It should be Stephen. Hello. Hello, boys. <laughs> Hello, mate, at last. <laughs> yeah, I was amazed last week when I popped down to see you in London uh, about how warm it was down there compared oh, to up here. Um, almost <laughs> tropical. <laughs> it was, yeah. Couldn't believe it, yeah. Did you have your jabs? You brought your passport and everything to come down, yeah? Well, yeah. I mean, I had my water purification tablets and everything. So, um, you know, I felt it was fine. I, I didn't know whether to bring a blue passport or a burgundy one, though. That's, oh, that's the well, thing. yeah. So, but um, no, it's great to finally uh, be on with Tony. So, yeah. Um, you know. It took a while, but we're here finally. Well, 18 months, I think it is in total, Tony, isn't it, that we've been doing this, I think? It's got to be, it was June, year before last, I think. Oh, I've sort of blacked out in between. He's blacked out, he's forgotten. <laughs> the, the memories of that that horrible, he's, he's chosen to ignore them. You saw encounter when I come around, unreal. He only remembers it when he wakes up screaming in the night, yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> you wait, you've got Stephen on the other end of the line, the abuse will probably get worse. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, well, it's sad to get, get to know you. I only abuse people I like, so exactly. um, it's, it's all right. <laughs> so, no, it's, it's been great, though, because I've, you know, I've, get to come on here and, and do episodes and talk to Scott and talk about the films and stuff. And I also get episodes coming in that I haven't been on and get to actually appreciate um, Tony giving his review along with Scott. And that's, you know, it, I get the best of both worlds in that respect. Well, so it's, it's fantastic. Anyway, from my well, part. You do well, sir. You do well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just weird. There's three of us talking now because usually if Tony and I are sitting here we've we've got no headphones on we're talking as if it's just a 
you know two guys in my living room but oh yeah you'll feel like smashing nicely now we you? are at the moment we're sitting across like a couple of little tables with with our mics but we've got headphones on it's a bit weird tone isn't it it's a yeah. bit you know, it's like, like a real studio today a real studio <laughs> <laughs> just a hint of professionalism yes, Tony. just a yes. hint <laughs> you'll be back after the ad break yeah. <laughs> to celebrate this monumentous occasion it's like the forming of one of those 70s super groups um <laughs> <laughs> we we've picked a biggie. When when you think British movies, I think there's sort of a handful of films that most people would instantly sort of go for, and it would be correct me if I'm wrong, but I would say something like Great Escape, Brief Encounter, Italian Job, yep, and this movie. Yeah, would you agree, Stephen? I think if you were to say, uh, yeah, British absolutely. movies, I mean, these yeah. are the the archetypal, um, well, quintessential British films that just. They just reek Britishness, yeah. and and this, you know, just the music itself is um, the theme. Just Whereas. evokes Britain itself, you know, as as a thing. I mean, I think it was used um, at the the Queen's Jubilee, and it was used for the Millennium, and it was all sorts of things. It yeah. was just trot, trotted out, you know. As soon as you you hear the music, you think of the Red Arrows doing the formation things, and and. Um, minis driving down the road and all, all these kind of things. It just it's it just it's so British. It, it hurts really. <laughs> it is. It's painfully British. This film. So what we're going to do? We're going back to 1955. We'll be back after this with the Dam Busters. This is London. You will now hear a statement by the Prime Minister. I am speaking to you from the Cabinet Room at 10 Downing Street. This morning, the British Ambassador in Berlin handed the German government a final note stating that unless we heard from them by 11 o'clock, that they were prepared at once to withdraw their troops from Poland, a state of war would exist between us. I have to tell you now that no such undertaking has been received, and that consequently this country is at war with Germany. The night of May the 16th, 1943. In all the skies of Europe at war, one squadron only is flying. Enemy coast ahead. Their task, to breach the great dams of the Ruhr Valley. Tonight, they are 617 Squadron. Tomorrow, the world will know them as... in action, pouring at treetop height into the heart of the Third Reich. The human drama which preceded this incredible raid reveals the inspiration and obsession of one man with an idea, 
But surely they must realize if we can burst those dams and flood the Ruhr Valley, they can save the thousands of bombs that they're dropping on the factories there. I can only pass on to you the decisions of the ministry, Mr. Wallace. Of course, it might help if you could get the support of somebody with personal influence. What do you suggest? Why not go and see Sir Edward Hughes? I've seen him twice. Or Sir George Burnett? I've seen him three times. Mm -hmm. When I got back to Weybridge, they sent for me and told me that the people in Whitehall had decided that I was making a nuisance of myself, wasting everybody's time, including my own, and that the whole thing was dropped. What did you do? Well, the only thing I could do, I resigned. Barnes Wallace is the man who refused to admit defeat, who saw his faith rewarded in triumph. <laughs> Gibson is leader of this death-defying mission. I found nigger outside. Can I sell him a drink? Yeah, providing you don't give him more than a pint. <laughs> <laughs> and don't drink it too quickly or you'll get hiccups. His exploits this night were to earn him the highest award for valor, the Victoria Cross. Well, the training's over. For obvious reasons, you've had to work without knowing your target or even your weapon. But tonight, you're going to have a chance to hit the enemy harder and more destructively than any small force has ever done before. Dambusters, released in the UK 1955, directed by Michael Anderson, based on the book by Paul Brickhill, which I've got actually, it's a bloody great book, and Guy Gibson has actually contributed to the writing of this as well, starring Richard Todd, Michael Redgrave, Basil Sidney, Ernest Clark, Derek Farr, Charles Carson, as we say, possibly one of the best-known British movies of all time. Tony, give us a quick synopsis for those that don't know. It's the story of how the British attacked German dams in World War II while using an ingenious technique to drop bombs were the, the most effective. Okay. I'm going to assume that everybody here has seen this a fair few times. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Probably about... Four times? Three times? Three or four, Tony? Probably. Yeah, at least. I've done yeah. the figures easily. It's the same for me, I think. Yeah, it's one of those ones that if I don't watch it every year, it's at least every other year, yeah. I think. And have done since I was very small. It's, as me and you say, Stephen, quite often, it was one of those, definitely one of those Sunday afternoon matinee movies on the TV. Yeah, and particularly around the, the bank holidays um, in the, the summer around when the anniversary of D-Day and stuff is, it's it just, they shoehorned it into the schedule every time. Yes, always on. Tony, big fan of British war movies. We know this from previous conversations. I may have mentioned it. You may have mentioned it occasionally. <laughs> Brief sort of like initial thoughts on this before we go cracking into a proper review. It's very good. Very good. <laughs> what a great British success story. And that's why it's so well publicised over here. And it is, because it's not just the pilot's story. It's Barnes Wallace. It's the whole... The whole shebang. The whole shebang. And it's also got um, local 
connections to us as well because it was tested in Manston and Reculver. Reculver, yes, it was. And that's yeah. only half an hour down the road from us, Reculver. Yes, yeah. Well, I walked there from Whitstable. Yeah, well, year before you last, and then had to walk back, and it nearly killed me. Um, but yeah, there's. <laughs> you can see why the bombs were tested at Reculver. There's just this huge expanse of open water there. Yeah, you know, it's great, absolutely fantastic. Stephen, initial thoughts before we get cracking. Well, it's painfully patriotic, um, but it's uh, unquestionably a, a classic and um, is iconic. So yeah, we, we yeah. can't, you know, can't deny any of any of its um, standing within British cinema. It had to be included on the Real Britannia podcast sooner rather than later. Yeah, would have been really amiss if we ignored this. I think you even mentioned when we was coming up the whole idea of this podcast that we were going to talk about it. It, yeah, a lot of war films came up in the initial conversation, Tony, didn't they? Because there was this and Reach for the Sky and yeah. Sink the Bismarck and The Cruel Sea. And, and we, we ignored all of those and did um, In Which We Serve yeah. instead, didn't we? Yeah. And, and, and opened up. Film. Yeah, and opened up with. Um, your Eagle man. has landed. Eagle has landed. Thank you, Steve. I was going to say where Eagle's there, which is a completely different movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, who wants to start? Wow. Go on, Tony. Just give us. You, you you watch this quite regularly. Yes. You are a big fan of British movies. You're a big fan of British war movies. What's what makes this stand out compared to some of the others? As I say, most of the things I watch, the oldie worldy stuff. I love looking mm-hmm. all the infrastructure back then. You know, it's just yeah. ten years after the war, so yep. everything. It's still available, the planes that they would have used, the uniforms they would have it's used. It's all genuine, isn't it? Of course yeah. it is. Mm. It's all 100% genuine, authentic. I mm. like that. Mm. You're a big fan of the old 40s sort of like revival stuff, aren't you? Yeah. You go quite often to yeah, those yeah. those sort of festivals and things, don't yeah, you? Yeah, doing all the reenactment stuff. Yeah. yeah, I love all that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is great to see. Um, and it's very, very true to life. <laughs> it's based on the true story, and they've kept pretty much... What actually, yeah, there's a couple of little inaccuracies that I found out doing a bit of research, but it doesn't take away from the whole story no. of the film. Um, fiercely patriotic, fiercely British, this movie. Stephen, thoughts, sir? Yeah, I mean, there are, there are the inaccuracies, and part of that's, you know, down to the fact that a lot of the stuff, because, as you said, it was so close to the actual um, event and mm. so close to the end of the war, a lot of the stuff that was that happened it was still massively classified yeah so what they were what they the writer had at his disposable to to use um and then what he was allowed to say um it did make it that some of the stuff had to be changed for official secrets and also some of it was was just not known mm. um but the essence of it is is there absolutely that it was it was you know these sort of Almost mad professor inventors scrolling away, and then these um, stiff upper lip, you know, Johnnies in the in the planes yeah. taking inordinate risks um, and willing to to do whatever it took in order to score this victory against the Nazis, and obviously the the patriotism of that and the propaganda of that was was there, but you know it's true to the fact that. People did make these inordinate sacrifices and and came up with all sorts of schemes because that's how much it, the the battle was worth. It was you know to defeat the menace of the Nazis. Everything was considered and and nobody held back really on on doing their bit. 
Yeah. And this illustrates it, and that's what it evokes. And it's, it needs to be told in some form that people are, are you know, are reminded that that's that's what they'd fought for, even just ten years after the event. There was. Um, it doesn't get mentioned too often. It does get mentioned in the movie, but the amount of casualties that were suffered from the, I think the crew that in total there was 161 crew involved um, and I'm just looking now I think there was about half actually he mentioned at plus, the end when he's, he's they're, they're having the, the chat right at the very end um, before he walks off into the sunset almost um, he says about the toll um, just Barnes Wallace and saying that um, it's um, I think he says 59 right here we go um, found of it. them yeah 53 of the 133 air crew were killed a casualty rate of almost 40 percent it's a huge cost yeah for something that wasn't a complete success they didn't actually achieve what they set out to do because only two of the three dams were breached am i right i think it was right the mona and the ada were the two that were breached wasn't it the scorpions yeah, yeah. and yeah and, and michael redgrave sums that up We've jumped right to the end of the film, right at the end, where he said, if I'd have known, you know, I, I wouldn't have done it. But then Richard Todd as Guy Gibson is, well, no, because what you've achieved is, you know, it's going to help to win the war, pretty much. Barnes Wallace's contribution is is staggering. You know, it, it ceased um, production in the Ruhr Valley of weapons and, and aircraft. And the yeah, that- I mean, it, I, know, I know that there's reports that, you know, head of the Air Force considered it to be a failure and a waste of resources in the end after the fact because it hadn't fulfilled its potential to completely but um, you know Albert Speer from the Nazis side reported after the war that if if they'd done another attack and taken out one, even one of the other dams it yeah. would have just crippled them to the point where it would have actually potentially brought the end to the war so it was yeah. it was that knife edge of just um that it being such an innovative idea and and scoring such a momentous um, point against them, that oh yeah, it very well could have made all that difference. And I, it was I think, you know. yeah, I think Spear described it as the most devastating attack that the British had done, like an airborne attack. And, mm-hmm. and Barnes Wallace himself was bemused as to why Bomber Harris and, and the Air Force did not continue air raids afterwards, um, airstrikes afterwards, because. Germans mobilised so quickly in repairing the two dams. You know, it took them six months, I think it was. But yeah. Barnes Wallace suggested that you carry on attacking those, you know, those troops that are manoeuvring to to rebuild the thing. Just keep it going, keep the pressure on. I think the difficulty of that was that after the fact was there's some criticism of that as a intent because some of it was Russian prisoners of war that were being used to repair the dams, and you would have been killing. You know, prisoners wars from an ally, um, sort of thing. But still, absolutely. I mean, you know, the 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 potential impact it could have had if they'd continued with it um, is is amazing. And even what they did manage to achieve, I think, is although it wasn't the full potential, it was still um, something that, along with it being uh, an impact upon the infrastructure of Germany, it did actually score a, a propaganda victory as far as demoralising the, the the Nazis and um, invigorating the home front. That was the main uh, thing. That was the main thing. Gibson came back a national hero. Yeah. To the extent that Bomber Harris, I think it was, ordered him to be desk bound for the rest of the war. They said, You are too much of a propaganda tool now that if you were to die on another mission, 
we'd have lost a national hero, which will demoralise the country. Mm. So they kept kept Bomber Harris somewhere, you know, in the Air Force behind a desk. But eventually, I think Harris relented, and it was late 1944 that he allowed Guy Gibson to go out on another mission over Germany, and his plane was shot down, and he died. Yeah. He, he actually died about a year after the the Dam Busters raid. But he had he had written a memoir of or his diaries of it mm. as the actual, um, which were. Because that was part of the thing of the production that there was, it got stalled with um, the challenge by his wife, who who um, challenged the actual storyline because of what he'd written was at odds with the storyline, and that's why he's credited as as one of the sources um, of the actual story, along with the actual writer of, of the book. Yes, um, but absolutely, it shows that the you know the propaganda worth of him. And the decision to hold him back and not let him fly, it was actually the right decision because ultimately that's that, you know, he went out and did die. So there were proof correct in, in that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. but it, yeah, it's, it, it was a, a, a propaganda tool as well as a, being an actual practical exactly. uh, victory. Yeah. So let's talk about the movie itself. Tony. Hello. You've got IMDb open there. Yes. Recognise any of the actors there because some some of these are probably not too familiar with you uh, to you. Uh, no, but you're mm. going to do that thing that you always do. No, no, no. I'm not going to say. Oh, yeah, we've seen so and so in this and that. Uh, Richard Todd will crop up on Real Britannia, you know, in the next month, you know, because he's he's up there with like your John Mills, isn't he, Stephen? He's that sort of of caliber of British actor. Yes. I think is your Richard yeah, yeah. Todd. Uh, Michael Redgrave, of course, uh, British acting royalty, Vanessa Redgrave's father, you know, and it, this is where the dynasty stems from. Doesn't usually look like that, Tony. He hasn't usually got white hair in most of his movies. He's been made to look a bit older, Michael Redgrave, in this as Barnes Wallace. The story opens with, with Barnes Wallace tinkering in his garden, bouncing marbles across a bucket, you know, and it's just this whole family life. And, and we get the story of what Barnes Wallace actually does for a living is an inventor. He's a aircraft designer. He he builds bombs for a living, basically. Yeah, well, is what he well, does. Well, yeah. I mean, he'd been he had been involved in um, the the planes that were originally used. He was he was involved in, although he wasn't chief architect of them. He was involved in some of the the actual um, major designs oh, of, of those aircraft. He was, you know, this is the point. He wasn't just somebody who, who his only. In, um, input into the war was the bouncing bombs. Yeah, he he'd been involved in in actually in bringing about the planes that were um, were already doing a lot of the bombing and a lot of other innovations he'd come at. So it wasn't that he was this the first time obscure inventor that that had to fight against the odds. He was you know already known to be a go to guy for solving problems. There was a there's a marvelous line that he's trying to sell the whole theory of the bomb to the to the RAF to the war office and he wants to borrow a Wellington bomber uh, and the the air chief marshal whoever it is says well how am I, I going to you know get get them to give up a give up a Wellington bomber just for you to test the bomb he says well perhaps you could tell them i invented it <laughs> <laughs> and it's true he invented the Wellington bomber so there's this then this scene of him in a Wellington bomber testing the first of the bouncing bombs Tony, you mentioned Reculver, 
was one of the places where they they tested the bomb. Culver Manston as well, but there was also on Chesil Beach as well. Um, Stephen was was one of the um, testing places, and I read today that there was a disused dam in Wales somewhere, and they destroyed it. They gave them permission to destroy a, a dam in Wales to test the bomb. Which isn't reflected in the movie. No, no. I know they did some, you know, there's some stuff in um, North Derbyshire and, and some of the yes. stuff in the Lake District as well. Yeah. Um, and I know they flew, you know, they flew out of um, North Lincolnshire. And That's stuff. right. But, um, Skenton, I think but, it was, yeah. But yeah, a lot of it was um, done down around you, basically, because uh, you're not, not that far away from where Vickers was actually um, centred in a way, I think. No. Um... The Hill of Valley Reservoirs in Wales. There you go. Yeah, Thank you very that. much. Yeah, because Tony and I have been to Reculver. That's that's sort of half an hour away in the car from us. But also, my my little, well, not claim to fame, but my link to this. About 20 years ago, I was sort of in between jobs and I was helping one of my friends do some carpet laying. And he drove me up to Middlesex to this factory you know that they were refurbishing and it was a Saturday morning there was no other you know people on site apart from us two and we've pulled up in his car and I've signed in at the you know the workman's hut and all that lot and he's pulled up into the car park and he went before we get started mate he said just go around that corner and have a look and I think we're in Teddington it's around that way somewhere and he said have a look at that what do you think that is and you know the scene at the beginning guys where they're in a hut and it's the really long water tank that they're bouncing oh, yeah. yes. the marbles yeah, 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 across. Yeah, yeah. Well, exposed to the elements, there was no hut anymore. There was the tank. Oh, wow. It was there. And I looked at it because I, I had no idea where we were. And I went, what is this, like an ornamental pond or something? Because that's what it looked like. It just looked like a big, really long rectangular bath, Yeah, basically. There was probably about four foot deep, four foot off the ground. And he went, that's where Barnes Wallace was testing the bouncing bomb. And this was pre-mobile phones, guys. If I'd have had a phone, I would have taken photos of it because it was like, oh my God, it's a piece of history. You know, I reached out and touched the concrete, you know. Yeah. And uh, sadly, now all of that has been raised to the ground. I think they've built a park there now. Um, and there was talk that they were going to turn the, the tank into an ornamental pond, you know, as a, try and preserve it. But I think they actually ripped it all apart and they've put a plaque there instead. But it's a shame, you know, if, if, if one of those things, if, if only I'd had a camera. Yeah. Uh, it's lost, lost to history completely. So we see all of these testings in places like Teddington and on the beaches and, and things like that. And it takes a while for Barnes-Wallace to actually convince... The war office, doesn't it? You know, they, they've got faith in him because of his track record. But at the same time, obviously, we're talking this is early 1943. So things are hotting up in Europe quite intensely. And, and any diversion of funds or, or troops or resources has to be questioned. Hmm. But he does. He convinces them because he just keeps persevering and testing and testing and testing. Again, though, I think that the, the actual... Um, it's come out since then that the... The difficulty he had of convincing them was actually exaggerated for the film, yeah. um, because they were already much more on board and supporting him in in the first place. He didn't have to fight 
so much oh, to actually get right, it get okay. it get it approved. Um, but it, it certainly um, makes it more of, of um, sort of a triumph of the underdog and the the, the that's British spirit. Him having won against the bureaucracy to actually um, get this scheme off the ground, I suppose, does reflect the idea of the the Brits on their own um, against the the Nazis, um, that plucky um, spirit of continually pushing to victory. So I suppose there's the parallel there. Maybe that's a that's why it was it was in there, or maybe it was just poetic license to make the story a bit more um, interesting. Yeah, we've got famous faces dotted throughout this as well. I'm, oh I'm, yes, I'm, yeah. I'm, as much as I like to focus on the history of the, the movie itself, I mean, did you spot Robert Shaw? <coughs> Spotted Robert Shaw. I missed Patrick McGowan, who was now, apparently in there as uncredited. But I, I think after the fact, I think I, I thought back and went. Oh yeah, I think that was him. Yeah, but, I, um, I didn't realise was in it until this watch, and I'm looking and I'm thinking, Tony, look at the screen now. That's Patrick McGowan. He was in Hell Drivers. Yes. Right. Tony's just seen yes, the bit. They're just showing at the beginning of the Blu-ray that's, that's playing in the background. Yeah. So, so he's one step closer. He's only one step away, actually, from the Village Hall of Fame. He now. is now. That's uh, two. Um, so, um, but yes, the the number of faces in there that you see, and it's people who. Uh, littered throughout, particularly the war um, epics. Yes, uh, the faces that crop up again. But there's ones that are obviously in things like the Life and Death of Colonel Blimp, and then That's some of the, the other films. The uh, the people whose faces are there in the background doing some of the the Quartermass or the Sherlock Holmeses yeah. or some of these. You're just going, oh yeah, recognise that face. He's you know one of the archetypal sort of generals or the yep. um the the business leader or whatever the the toffs so there's so many faces in there that you just do recognize as been but robert shaw yes i i, I spotted him um very young in this obviously. yeah very young indeed yeah because this would be like seven years before from russia with love so yeah he's very very young in this you've got george baker inspector wexford's in this tony as well you might have blinked and missed him Harold Goodwin, who plays Guy Gibson's Batman, that comes up to tell him that the dog's dead. We will mention the dog in a minute, I promise you. Um, <laughs> the Australian guy with the really fancy moustache, that's Bill Kerr. Now, Bill Kerr... I was just looking at Bill Kerr. Right, Bill Kerr is more famous on the radio. He is Tony Hancock's right-hand man in Hancock's Half Hours. And there is an episode of Hancock round, round about this time where Hancock mentions the fact that Bill Kerr appears in the Dan Busters. They sort of break the fourth wall a bit. Um, So it's good to see Bill Kerr, actually. And he only died last year, I think, Bill Kerr. 2014. There you go. Oh, a couple of years back, five years ago. Wow. Bill Kerr's in Benny Hill. Is he? Yeah. Wow. I thought you you were saying Benny Hill was in... I was going to say, I blinked to miss that one. I was thinking... He was the milkman. Yes, it. Yeah. (laughs) 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 He was really fast, though, wasn't he? Actually, could be the fastest in anyway. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about the elephant in the room, or the dog in the room. Or the dog in the room, yeah. Poor dog. Yeah. Right. I'm just going to read out something that the BFI have put at the beginning of the Blu-ray. Now, this film was re-released last year, totally restored, pristine copy. I've got the lovely Blu-ray edition of it. 
to celebrate the 75th anniversary last year. Now, at the beginning of the Blu-ray, I'm just playing it now, is not necessarily a disclaimer. It's more of an announcement. While we acknowledge some of the language used in the Dan Busters reflects historical attitudes which audiences may find offensive, for reasons of historical accuracy, we have opted to present the film as it was originally screened. The reason they have put that announcement at the beginning, for those that haven't seen the film, Guy Gibson has a dog. And this is true, this is accurate. The dog's name is Nigger. It was a black Labrador. It was a black Labrador. And it gets mentioned, Stephen, as you pointed out before we came on out, a staggering amount of times in this movie, the dog's name. I think we notice it more because of, obviously, you know, the the word itself. But it's just like you'd be calling your dog anyway. Obviously not that, but you you, you call your dog naturally, don't you? So there's no biggie back then. No, but obviously, you know, with... with The negative connotations of the word is now... yeah. Gained over the years, yeah. Stephen, did you wince when you heard it? Um, not so much when I when well, I'd forgotten I'd forgotten I'd forgotten that actually that was um, what he called his dog. Oh right. Okay. Um, so until it, it cropped up and and I, I'd remembered previously between my last watch and this watch, but I'd actually just forgotten before it cropped up on the screen. Yeah. Um, but I think that. Um, although I completely appreciate the um, that that's historically accurate, and that um, you know my own grandmother, who was um, you know the same age as mm. as these people, um, you know, is a word that she sometimes would use, and we'd we'd go um, nan. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, but so so it's accurate in that sense, and you know. I can understand that wanting to actually keep to that accuracy is 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 what they want to do. I can understand people not being happy about the word nigger being used because it's a, a word that does cause offence to certain people, um, and that's you know fair if that's how they feel about it. It's a difficult one to actually go back and retroactively apply our. Um, our mores mm. to to the previous era. In some some respects, you've got to do for certain things, but in this respect, it's you know if you were going to be telling the story of um, you know in like twelve years a slave. Yes. I mean, you know, you're not going to hold back from using the language that was actually used against the slaves in that time because it wouldn't be accurate. So you've got to do so in 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 that sense. Um, I think my only my only reservation about it is that um, I really didn't think there was actually a, just a, a need to actually. There, there was quite there was a, a number of instances where the the dog was involved in, in on screen and yes. them interacting with the dog and stuff. And I really don't feel it was necessary for the plot. To be perfectly honest, I think it just elongated the film unnecessarily because there was there was no need for the dog to be in yeah. there. Yeah, I mean, um, it's true. The dog died on the day of the raid. That is accurate. Um, and the dog's name is used as one of the the call signs or something as well. It was the code. It, is, yeah. it was the code yeah. word for the breaching of the Mona Dam, I think it was. But yeah, it's fair play to the BFI and and those responsible, the BBFC or whatever, for not censoring this. When Talking Pictures showed this a few weeks ago over Christmas, I think it was, they showed it uncensored. Yeah, 
Uh, Whereas in the 80s and 90s, there was some controversy where it was censored out. And I believe even at the time of release, when it was released over in the States, um, they changed it to being, it was either Digger or Trigger. Yeah, that makes sense. Tigger, that was it, Tigger. (laughs) They changed it to being Tigger as the the name of the dog. They sort of dubbed it um, straight away in the 50s for the the stateside oh, of audience course, so yeah, yeah. Um, that makes sense but then they also added various scenes of planes crashing that didn't that were really? footage from elsewhere and stuff like this <laughs> yeah, there was there was some you know there were some really weird things that the americans actually did with the cut they they, <laughs> they added some planes crashing into hillsides and stuff that were the wrong kind of planes that were american planes uh, and and stuff it just uh, weird so if you've yeah. seen if you've seen the American version and think it's a little bit out of context, it, um, that'd be why you haven't you haven't actually seen the film, basically. Yeah, yeah, you've you've, <laughs> you've seen a, a a changed version at least. Definitely, they love the uh, violence, the action that they. Yeah, that's it. There probably wasn't enough. Them Yanks. Yeah, there wasn't enough crashes, and you know. Yeah. Well, there wasn't enough Americans in it. That's true. Well, there was it was the Cana- that, yeah. Canadians and New Zealanders, yeah. wasn't it? I Canadians, think it was a... New Zealanders, Australians. Yeah, yeah. but. Um, I, I, you know, that's what happens when you turn up late. Well, this is the thing. Ooh. If, if the, ooh, <laughs> Tony's just wins there. If if this was made ten years later, Steve McQueen would have been piloting one of the planes. You know that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He he delivered the bombs from a motorcycle. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, we know they don't like historical accuracy. No. Um, they haven't got enough history to be accurate with. That's a problem. But um, we, you know, it's 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 quite right that. Um, like the, fo- the, fo- the focus, the focus was, was on, um, on you know, the allies that existed at the time, and the fact, the fact you know, we were, um, we were pushing for for a win, pretty much on our own, and <laughs> they um, keep coming. Yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I completely appreciate that, you know, if, if the Americans haven't come in, you know, it's, it, it's true that we would have all been speaking Russian by now, but. Um, <laughs> The, uh, the the fact of the matter is that yeah the 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 purest version is the actual um, UK release version definitely so okay. um, that you know that's the fact of it and obviously the la- the language used in the UK release version is that the word nigger is used to refer to a dog that doesn't have to be in the film but is in the film yeah. is, but as you say it is also one of the call signs um, that is used for the, for the dam and I I think that. Although I completely appreciate that it's not a, a word to be used um, when talking to, to in general conversation and particularly shouldn't be used as an, an offensive slur when you're attacking somebody, um, I you know, in ho- historical context, it needs to be in the film um, yes. just for, for accuracy. Um, the, there was a con- conversation I've seen discussions about um, the remake Peter Jackson had his name against it. Didn't Peter he? Jackson with with Stephen Fry having written the script. That was it. Yeah, and um, oh, he, look at disgust on Tony's oh, face. Yeah. <laughs> and, appa- and apparently he put forward an alternative for the the naming of the dog as a as a sort of um, uh, a suggestion because there was apparently apparently he also did refer to the dog occasionally by another name. All right, and there was there, and I can't remember what it was. It was something similar. Yeah, and and. Um, that was put forward, and I, I did think, well, just don't have the dog in it because it's not necessary to the plot. So you know, keep it out. Mm. Um, but as it stands, I think 
people have just got to accept that it's it's there and it's a bygone era and that's you know it's history. that's that's Get what was it. said. It's exactly yeah. Tony. It is history, and we, we it has to be. Upset when we talk about the SS and all the atrocities they did, and Auschwitz and it, stuff like that, it happened. It, that was it. It's reflect. Yeah, you've got to reflect history yeah, accurately. You, you, you otherwise, you can't just pick yeah. and choose parts of your history. I'm afraid. So it is what it is. They said nigger. They called the dog nigger. That's it. Get over it. <laughs> I'm sorry, but there's no sugar coming. Uh, Tony Blanford, news at ten. Political editor. <laughs> Diplomat. <laughs> Diplomat. Well, role. apparently now, nowadays you don't have to win an election to be PM, so it's all right. Ooh, here we go. Ooh. Here we go. Right, we'll be on Brexit in a minute. <laughs> Brexit, <right>. yes. <laughs> so let's talk about the raid itself. Now, as Tony quite rightly pointed out, we're only 10 years after the war, so there was a lot more Lancaster bombers available than there are now. Yes. I mean, there's only about three or four that yeah, are flight-worthy yeah, now, left, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Fly. yeah. Um, so for for that side of the accuracy, marvelous. We see these pl- we see these planes actually in flight. We see them. They were still using them planes. Yeah, they were still in service. Still is exactly the same uniform, <laughs> the same guns. Everything was the same. Nothing had changed. Yeah, nothing had changed. Obviously, things are moving on a little bit more technology-wise. Oh but yeah, but other than that. They were still there. They were still, yeah. It was just Monday recording to them. There was no going out and finding anything. They just went to the local RAF place and just, let's can, just film. Can we just film that? Yeah. So. Well, apparently apparently a substantial amount of the budget did actually go on on hiring the planes and, and such like from the RAF. It was, I mean, it doesn't sound like a lot these days, but I think I read the figure of something like per plane it was... Uh, one hundred and sixty pounds a day, or something other. Which yeah. imagine, imagine if you could get hold of a Lancaster bomber for one hundred and sixty pounds oh, for the day. Imagine what, it. No, just imagine it. Amazing. Not the MOD though. Back in the day, they <laughs> saw an opportunity to make some money and took it. Good on them. That's British, isn't it? It's to pay for all that research that Barnes Wallace did during the war. It cost <laughs> yeah. them a fortune. You look at a Lancaster bomber. I think this is a guy thing. It's a thing of beauty, it is, isn't, isn't it? it? That and the Spitfire. That and the Spitfire. It brings a tear to my eye when I see the old Battle of Britain fly past, mate. It still does. Um, just a tear to your eye? Just a, Yes, yes. Stop it. <laughs> um, <laughs> you start weeping elsewhere, you know it. <laughs> More than a lump in the throat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think it's a guy thing, isn't it? This this movie, I, mean, I don't think it's not a chick flick. That's for sure. No. Definitely not. Well, there's only one. There's, apart from the daughters of Bands Wallace, I think there's only, and the dancers that show who don't have any lines. Yeah. Um, I think there's there's Bands Wallace's wife, and then there's the waitress. Yes, that's it. And, and that's much. the only women in it. <laughs> and and to be perfectly honest, I'm surprised the waitress didn't get a slap off them for offering coffee instead of tea. In, in proper, proper British. Um, but yeah, there's there's two women with you know, other than the, the daughter of, of Barnes Wallace, who I think says about two words. Yep. There's only two two adult women actually in it that have speaking parts. Yeah, yeah. Um, talking to the children again, which is typical of these old movies. Very posh children again. Course, yeah, they're from that upbringing, aren't they? <laughs> it just surprises me just how posh kids are in these old movies. But back to well, the, mm. the thing is, though, it's you're not just saying about the poshness of the kids, it's it's the poshness of the um, the the pilots as well. I yeah. mean, you know, they're, yeah. they're all posh, and you know, statistically, most of the most pilots were working class, so um, you know, but it seems to be a, a trope of um. British war films, all of the um, pilots were all stiff upper lip, um, 
gentlemen from the upper classes because um, they they all had the the Watto cup yeah. class accents, didn't they? Even even the the Australians and Canadians were a bit <laughs> polished. Confidence, doesn't it? it does. Especially back in the older stuff when it was actually filmed during the war, like mm. in which we serve. Yeah. Yeah, they're still confident, wouldn't Because you don't want Chaz and Dave sitting there, like, oh, or like, <laughs> take the plane over and all that. You'd just you'd panic a little bit, wouldn't you? It's, it's the study when you're on the, a, a real plane nowadays. Well, this is the captain speaking, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Captain speaking, <laughs> yeah, you'd, yeah you don't want our what, accents mate? to hear, yeah. actually. Um, yeah. Just going over to Shagaloof, you well, know. Well, it's, no, this is it. I mean, particularly me and Scott being the case that um, our, we, you know, our relatives that we grew up around um, and knew were people who actually had been fighting in the war. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, which is less of a case now. I mean, I know Tony's a bit younger than us. So, I was um, still a military family, though. Like, all of my family uh, worked in the dockyard, which was MOD yeah. at the time. Wasn't your nan auxiliary fire service as well? well one like... of my nans was auxiliary fire service. My other nan, she worked for the Royal Navy. She cleaned and repaired barrels of guns off of ships. Your generation is probably the last, then, Tony, I think, that's going to have yeah, um, yeah, relatives so, yeah. in memory, isn't it, I think? Yeah, yeah. granddad, one of my granddads, he built and designed Colin Towers for submarines. There you go. And the other one that was, when he came out of the Navy, was a Master Stevedore um, at the Chatham Historic Dock, well, Chatham Dockyard at the time. There you go. So, yeah, I think you are the last of the, yeah. the ones that are going to remember. Now, my kids have certainly got no living relatives that have, you know... Oh, I've got living relatives, unfortunately. No. Now, apart from yourself, obviously. Apart from me, um, yes, during the war. Yeah, but you put you, you were on the other side, so... Um, <laughs> when he's in Nam. Yeah, at least that's who you were rooting for, yeah. No, I mean, my granddad, my, my, grand, maternal, my paternal grandfather, he was part of the invasion force of Iceland, which obviously was a token resistance to them, wow. so I didn't really have a, a, lot of, a lot of difficulty there. But, you know, absolutely. I mean, that, it was... I was around that generation of people, and, and Tony, as you say, is the last... Last of that, the the generation that had that contact with people who really had been in it, because there's you know there's so few around now that it were in the war in any um, context. So, yeah, we we lost one of the the dam busters themselves, didn't we? Just two weeks ago, I think, and there's only one one left now, one surviving member of Six One Seven Squadron, I believe. Um, yeah, it's getting to that point in history, unfortunately. You know, a few of the scary point where you think Falklands was nineteen eighty two and a lot of the soldiers back then they'll be in their late fifties. Yeah. Now, even when they're eighteen. Yeah, it's true. You know, you don't think of it like that. So they're our next lot of war heroes now. Yeah. As horrible as that sounds. Yeah, and well, Korea, I suppose in Korea, yeah. Yeah. Um but anyway, the raid. The raid itself. I mean we we've got these historically accurate aircraft because they are the actual aircraft yeah you can't get any more accurate than that tony that's right um and i think looking at this and and i I thought this as i was watching it last night and then i read this subsequently tony you're a big fan of 633 squadron yes one of your favorite war films full stop isn't it? i know you love that yeah very good with a passion uh, and there's a you know a similar sort of raid in six three three, isn't there? You know, it's it's all about the mission leading up to the raid in I think it's Norway or somewhere, isn't it? Mm. Six three three. Um can you guys see the inspiration um from six three three squadron and this in particular for Star Wars? Yes. It's it's it there's the interchange of dialogue between the, the sort of the um the pilots 
there's the um, the way in which the formation is of the three planes um, in a sort of V format. Um, the accuracy of the it's, bomb, it's, the small it's, target. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's kind of, and, and the you know the the flak coming to them and them talking about where it's coming from, and the ones getting shot off, and there's there been um, the um, navigator saying about staying on on the target sort of thing, yeah. and it's it's almost you know it's almost a cut and paste. I mean, I think that. I did read years ago that in some of the um, early test footage that they were showing to the executives for Star Wars, they hadn't done that bit yet, yes. and they just actually did just cut and paste in Dog the bits from Dampers that yeah. they were going to use yeah. um, as imp- inspiration. So absolutely, I mean, you know, there'll be people looking at it and go, oh, that's like Star Wars, but well, you know, this is where it came obviously, from. Obviously, they came from this first. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think... Tony's just pointed something out as well, even... The design of the plane itself. You... Yeah, on the Lancaster, you've got the front machine gunner, we've got the observation turret on the front. Yep. It's a circular yeah. turret. Yep, and also the rear gunner sitting in a in a bubble. That's it, yeah. And you as know... you're going along, you've got all day, you've got the, the really terrible CGI, the bullets and that flying back then. The flag. I'll let them yeah. off. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. um yeah, it, it's like they're going for the galactic field. I don't really do Star Wars. He doesn't, much, he's not a big fan though. No, I don't get it. It's <laughs> for virgins. But it's, there's lots of like um, that sort of stuff, and they're going through the stars and shooting past them. And that yeah. sort of stuff, yeah. It's you can see it's an inspiration, can't it? Yeah. Um, and as you point out, it's, it's, it's not the era of CGI. It's not the era of the best special effects in the world, but it is effective. It, it, it does, you know, when the dams themselves are breached, it, it does look very good. T- t- well, I was going to say it looks, looks tacky, but. I think it's good. I can let this yeah. film off all day long. At, yeah. at the time... You can forgive time, it, can't you? Yeah. At the time, the special effects were considered to be um, amazing, really. I mean, it was up for awards for its special effects, I think, mm. um, I've seen. So, it, you know, at the time, it was um, incredible in that respect. I know there was one particular explosion, I think, I saw that did look incredibly suspicious. That's um, it. Yeah, but, that's the thing I'm the, thinking of. But, um, but the, the majority of it, absolutely, it was... Mm. Um, you can see some of it are all... Time models recreated of the whole landscape yeah you know yeah. particularly when some of the planes are crashing and you think all right you can see that's a model but the, the effort that's gone into it oh it's incredible fantastic absolutely fantastic you can't see the wires at all no definitely <laughs> <laughs> so all in all we're we're in total agreement that this is a great british movie i think this is just a great movie full stop it deserves its place in history yeah it's yeah. definitely got it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's absolutely, it's, it's a classic. I mean, I think to, to modernise because of the pacing, perhaps, you know, it, it could have been shortened a bit because it does show quite a, a lengthy amount of the lead-up to the actual perfection of the bombs and the, the training of the pilots. And also it does show quite a lengthy amount of the flying over there to the dams. Um, but... Is that just putting things in context that things did take that amount of time and that it was a, 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 a marathon more than a sprint in order yeah. to actually do those things? Perhaps that, you know that that and and building up and context of films at the time that was that was the build up of tension that people. That's were used what I like. To. I like so, that anticipation that mm. you know because you could see it, in Michael Redgrave's face when they're at you know bomber command or wherever it is, and they're just waiting for the feedback. And they're just waiting and waiting, and the only yeah. thing they're getting is code words coming back, you know. Mm-hmm. And it must have taken hours to get over there, obviously, to yeah. fly across. And and 
many of these crew members, you know, the planes were lost going there, let yeah. alone coming back and actually, you know, being shot down over the dams and stuff like that. The 50-odd, you know, crewmen, some of them were lost, one of them was lost in the channel going over, yeah. you know, or coming back, I think. Um, and that's why I like the anticipation of it all, because you, you follow them across, you just don't know if they're going to get shot down or not. No. And it's constant, isn't it? It's just like, there's no easy part to this. They are no. travelling halfway across Europe to drop a bomb in one tiny particular little area they've got to be so accurate you know this whole thing about the um the spotlights being calibrated to to get the height right and the uh the little device they use to to pinpoint the two towers to get the distance yeah. correct you know engineering masterpiece yeah all acted off a photograph of a bit of intelligence yeah incredible yeah because nobody was actually physically there to measure the distance of those no. you know the dams and the depths and all that i lot. mean you look nowadays you could just send a drone over we could sit in our front room send a drone and, up and blow it up from here yeah yeah <laughs> and it'd be as easy as that off a mobile phone but yeah. back then what little they had available to them and what they achieved yeah it's out of this world i just don't know how they'd do it i looked i was watching the thing about bletchley park and how they decoded a lot of the stuff with yes. the equipment they had yeah all medieval-looking, scary equipment. Well, yeah, this old Alan Turing, isn't it, Steve, it's, and that sort of thing. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. You know, it's, like, it's like you see with the moon landing, you know, that there's the, that woman um, who was one of the coders that had forgotten until recently, and yeah. she's this um, little um, black lady, and she stood next to um, she stood next to a stack of, of, of books of her calculations yes. um, that were needed to be inputted, and the stack is taller than she is. Yeah. Um, and you know that that coming from the minds of the people to be the inventiveness, and then the along with the inventiveness, the resolve to push through with these schemes, and then to have people who were making that supreme sacrifice. Um, it, that is illustrated in the film, and that is what the the film gives us really. And thankfully, it does give that poignancy at the end about the sacrifice yeah. of the people um, in order that it's not just a, a glorification, it's putting in context that this was, this was you know, a, a tragic loss of human life, but it was, you know, to an end. Um, and, and that, it'd be very easy for them to just come, you know, come away with a different movie where it was just like they'd blown up the reservoirs and the, the came, you know, came back and it was all cheering and stuff and that's where the film ended with people having medals pinned on them and stuff but yeah the, the loss of of life was 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 actually staggering actually stated. Yeah. yeah 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 it's you're quite right it's a testament to like the ingenuity the inventiveness the creativity of of the guys in the back rooms that you know we were isolated you know hitler was in calais at this point you know we're talking early 1943 and and it was just the channel separating us and they were having to come up with these ideas that, right, okay, we can't physically get our troops across the water. What the hell are we going to do? And it was things like this that stalled them enough for us to, to mobilise and, and, you know, get over there in 44. But also, as you've pointed out again, Stephen, as well, it's also a staggering testament to the bravery of these guys that were going out there. Yeah. You know, it's just incredible that, as you said, Tony, as well, they're under constant flak, under constant pressure from the second they take off. As soon as they hit the channel, as soon as they get anywhere near where I was... You're 20 miles from death. Yeah. You're yeah. going to be shot at. Yeah. No matter what, you're going to be shot at if you come back. And it was good. constant. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah. The, 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 the sacrifice was there. I mean, there's people who, who do have, you know, 
views on on you know anti-war saying you know war is not a, a good thing because everybody feels wars are not a good thing yeah um but the it's it's making sure that you know whether you agree with you know even in modern context whether you agree with the, the cause that is being fought for the actual fact that these people did make that sacrifice and even to the extent where you know they've been on tours of duty for a long period of time and it got to their um their relief period where they could have actually gone and seen their families that they hadn't seen for for almost an entire year and they've been risking death every day and they give that up to to do this extra thing that could kill them and, and did kill some of them yeah and that you know the impact upon the people that they loved as well it, it was a sacrifice such a wider scale as well and just the people who, who did unfortunately die um, and and that is emphasized in the film um, thankfully yes yeah in, in sort of summary this film personally to me i think it is one of the greatest british movies ever made mm. and you're agreeing with I'll me tony that, yeah um, i think Stephen will probably third that as well it's it's, it's absolutely I, I you know it's iconic yeah. it can't be denied that it's it's legacy not just in influence and things like Star Wars, but its legacy as um, a touchstone of Britishness. Yeah, we, we mentioned briefly yeah. the music. Like you said, the music is just ingrained in everybody's psyche almost. It's just like, it. It, it just stirs the passions, doesn't it, when you hear the Dan Busters theme? Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Five star movie for me, Tony. Five star. Stephen doesn't do stars, but I know he's just going to say, yeah, watch it. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. It's a film that that everybody should see. It, you know, particularly people in in this country, people should see once in their lifetime. Yeah. Uh, whether that's on a special screening um, due to some anniversary date that they go to see, or whether they actually just see it on a a, a cold bank holiday on on television. Yeah. Uh, either way, make a point of seeing it at least once in your life. Really. Definitely. Okay, let's take a short break and we're going to be back with what we're watching next time. Okay, chaps. First time, all three of us together. Hopefully not the last. So... In anticipation of, of the, you know, the next meeting of the three great minds, Stephen has decided to put forward a suggestion for what we're going to be watching. This could be next week, it could be next month, it could be next year, but this is the movie we're going to be watching. Stephen, what have you got in mind, mate? Well, when uh, when we three kings will gather again, um, we're going to have um, a, 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 a classic, I think, um, I'm... Tony will be aware of, thankfully. I know Scott already is. Um, it's a film called The Man Who Would Be King, mm-hmm. um, which is starring Sean Connery and Michael Caine. Do you know it, Tony? I'm not too sure if you do. No. Oh, mid, I think mid seventies, like mid seventies. Uh, Sean Connery, Michael Caine, mate. Is, is, yeah, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. It <laughs> is a, a cracky movie. Is it? Um, John Huston directed. I believe. Uh, yeah, John Huston, yeah. Um set in the uh the Victorian time with the Raj in yeah. India. Um so it's great. So uh, uh, was it we called it a romp, 
an adventurous romp, I think. Yes, it definitely definitely fits into the adventure category, yeah. yeah. So whenever we three are, are back together, that is the movie we're going to be reviewing. I'm going to put this particular episode out next. Even though, yep, yeah, even though we've got two or three in the bank that Stephen and I have recorded, but next time you and I meet Tony yes. together, we decided it's going to be Carry On Nurse, Carry On Nurse, which second is in the Carry On season. season. So, and with regard to myself and Stephen, it will be your choice, and we're going to be doing Heavens Above, the Peter Sellers movie. That's it. So, plenty more Real Britannia to come. Gentlemen, it's been absolutely marvellous sitting here with two dear friends. And what a good film to start it on. I think so. I think it is, it is, it's what the Real Britannia podcast is all about, isn't it? I think we wanted to do this movie. A very enjoyable threesome. Oh, Matron. Yes, I'm, I'm <laughs> glad. And I, I'm absolutely. Fine, to finally be podcasting with Tony, it, it's, it's great to finally get that done because it's something I've been looking forward to and hoping for so I know it's it's not possible a lot of the time but um finally we've done it and hopefully it won't be too long before we do it again and keep repeating that but um yeah the film was exactly the right one really to to be starting that on I think so so. I think so gentlemen thank you very much indeed hopefully it won't be too long before we see each other again it's been a pleasure see you both very soon take care goodbye Good luck. Thank you. British end up, sir.